0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the second chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's so good to see you this morning. Thankful for the band leading us in worship. Make sure that you let them know that at the end of the service today. I'm going to read our passage over us as we do each week, just so we know where I'm going and that I'm not making this up. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to read the 26 verses that are there. I said to myself, go ahead, now I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explore with my mind the pull of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I increased my achievements. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and I made parks for myself and I planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants, and I had slaves who were born in my houses. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I amassed silver, and I amassed gold for myself, and the treasures of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers and many concubines. If you have questions about that, Jerry will be answering those in the hallway after worship. <laughs> the delights of men. I became a great, so I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself in pleasure I did not refuse myself any pleasure. For I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the king's successors be like? He will do what has already been done. And I realized that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness." The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one's fate comes to them, one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this is also futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come will be forgotten. How is it that this wise person dies just like the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For, For everything is futile in a pursuit of the wind. I hated all my work. And I labored, that I labored at under the sun. Because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or he will be a fool. Yet he will take over all my work. That I labored at skillfully under the sun, this too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to one who has not worked for it, this too is futile and is a great wrong, for what does a person get with all of his work and all of his efforts that he labored at under the sun for all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful even at night his mind does not rest this too is futile there is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink and enjoy for his work I have seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him for the person who is pleasing in his sight? He gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This to is futile in a pursuit of the wind. I don't know if you were expecting this for Super Bowl Sunday or not, but we're going to spend. <laughs> you thought about being a jersey or something today. Uh, This book that we are looking at is Solomon's experiment trying to take life apart and understand what is there. And I've noticed that many of us are in one of two categories. From childhood, we either take things at face value or there is a point for us where we deconstruct and even destroy things as we remove piece after piece. So just let me know if you're the kind of person who looks at life and you said this is just the way it is and I'm satisfied with it, can you let me know that's you? That's okay. That's me. I don't like to take things apart because I break things and I don't want to spend more money. It, it, anybody in the room, if you're the deconstructionist, you take things apart so that you understand why it works and how it works. If that's you, could you raise your hand? Okay, some of you are lying. You have to be one or the other. I gave you the rules. The book, of, the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon taking everything in life apart, trying to understand why it works the way that it happens to work and what the meaning behind it is. This book does not talk about some really important things in the history of the Jewish people. It does not talk about their escape from Egypt, the Exodus. It does not talk about the covenant promises that God made to Moses. It doesn't really talk about Abraham. There is no mention of heaven. There is no mention of hell. There is no mention of a coming Messiah. This book has one sole purpose. And that is to answer this question. What can I learn from what I see right now? When I look at life and I, and, and I take it apart, what can I learn from this? Either life matters, and God has a point for all of this, or it doesn't. And as Hemingway says, life is a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Tim Keller says it this way when he's talking about significance and why we seek and search for it, why we want things to matter. He said, people think Christians are naive, but if your origin is insignificant... And if your destiny is insignificant, then have the guts to admit that your life is insignificant. Solomon is conducting this experiment with a tad bit of control because he's the wisest man who will ever live. He actually says this multiple times throughout Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He references how this is a controlled experiment for him. That everything that he's going to do and all of the ways that he's going to do it, he has a bit of control over it. So for any of us who listen to the story of Solomon with his 700 wives and 300 concubines, as my life group discussed last week, I don't know why the numbers weren't flipped, but that's how it's working. For him, Uh, for all of us who would look at this story and say, well, if Solomon did it, I should do it too. What you also have to realize is that God gave Solomon wisdom that is greater than anyone other than Jesus, and you and I are more than likely morons in comparison. So we don't need to be moving in this direction. And the reason that Solomon conducts this experiment for those of us who look and hear from the God of the Bible, who we know is Yahweh, who has revealed himself to us in Jesus, the reason that we would look at a letter like this and that he would give us this information is so that we would not seek to find satisfaction in places because the wisest man in human history apart from Jesus has already done so and he says to us there's nothing there if you're just going with what's under the sun Solomon conducts this experiment he is incredibly wise it reminds me of one of my favorite television shows, it's on Netflix now, but NBC's about to remove multiple things from Netflix. They In 2019, on December the 31st, they removed Friends from Netflix, and some of us are still processing that. And in 2000, and they, it, it, was, it, it was hard on many of you. Like, the, the Rachel. So, um, the, there is also, at the end of this year, there will be a removal from from Netflix two more incredibly important shows one is The Office and the other is Parks and Recreation one of my favorite episodes of Parks and Recreation is when a character named Tom and a character named Donna and they have this recurring bit where they will walk into Tom walks into an office opens up a box and in the box he has a gift for Donna and there are three words on the three cupcakes treat yourself and I love this episode and these three, and what these two characters will do is one day every year they get together and they dedicate an entire day to themselves and, when, and they go shopping and when they go shopping for clothes the answer to what they're doing is treat yourself when they buy fragrances treat yourself massages treat yourself mimosas treat yourself fine leather goods treat yourself on treat yourself day, they eat sushi that is made from fish that were previously owned by celebrities. They <laughs> treat themselves, trying to find meaning in pleasure. Another character named Ben, he's kind of nerdy, likes things like Batman. And about Ben, I like Ben. This does not. And when Ben sits with them, he does, this does not make any sense to him. But at the end of the episode, not to spoil it for you, but it's been on Netflix for years, so that's on you. He ends up with an authentic Batman suit. This is how Solomon approaches life in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He is going to seek to find pleasure and satisfaction and joy and happiness in everything. And he finds this when he looks into humor that eventually humor leads to madness and it doesn't matter he has had every comedian and every sitcom right there with him and he has laughed to the point that he is laughing for the sake of laughing and says to himself this doesn't matter he goes on and he has musicians come in Musician after musician after musician. I don't know who your musicians are, but Solomon did not have Spotify. He had Spot up right there and sing to me. (laughs) And nothing brought him lasting joy. Pleasure is limited. He had women... every type of woman that he wanted. It did not last. Solomon, as we said last week, there was no line between his desire and reality. And he says to any of us who are listening, I sought for meaning in all of these things. And as I sought for meaning in those things, it just didn't matter... This sense of brokenness and a lack of meaning when Solomon goes all in, chipped on the table toward pleasure, is echoed in numerous places from our world. Singer Mick Jagger grew famous for a song where he would tell us that he can't get no satisfaction. That's terrible grammar. Superstar athletes will win championships and they will ask this question. You will hear them say this aloud. Is this all that there is? Many of those athletes struggling with anxious, depressed thoughts. Jack Higgins, who wrote the book The Eagle Has Landed, and a bazillion other thriller espionage novels that I just learned about in my research this week. When he was asked what what he would do to give advice to another writer, he said, when you get to the top, realize this, there's nothing that's there there's a story of a man who climbed Mount Everest when he got to the top he looked around from the top of the world for five minutes and then he walked back down Philosophers have written about it. Blaise Pascal, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different men means they use, they all tend to this end. They cause of some. This is the cause of some going to war, others avoiding it. It's the same desire in both, to be happy. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. C.S. Lewis says it this way, Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for Jesus. We have this seeking and after pleasure, hoping to find our hope in pleasure, wanting to find something that matters, that makes us significant in pleasure. And Solomon says, I have ran to the end of that road, and I looked and said, is this all there is? Is this all there is? Solomon is at the point where he's out of things to binge. We mentioned Netflix, you mentioned Hulu, any of those things. They're always telling us. If you like this, you will definitely like this. And Solomon is in a place in this passage where he has nothing else to look for, no other place to look to be satisfied. There's nothing else that is being suggested for his cue. And when he looks into his situation, he says, it does not matter. Well, what about his stuff? He's been treating himself in every single way. Verse 4, I increased my achievements. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. He's into stuff that I'm not into. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted. So, so for those of us who are trying to find satisfaction with whatever little thing we're doing in our front yard or backyard or whatever you're building, he's like, hey, I did that. And I didn't just do that for myself. I did that for all 700 wives. I looked in every place that I could find I built and I built and I built and building matters in the Bible and at this point in history because if you build something it says that you matter there's something to remember you by when you look back at this it's the reason that presidents have things that we tie to their presidential careers this president did this we remember it this president did that we remember that and that's what buildings were for these men I had large flocks, more than all those who were before me in Jerusalem. Verse 8, I am as silver and gold for myself, the treasures of kings and provinces. Everyone's bringing stuff to Solomon. We're told at one point in the book that Solomon had kings who were bringing him silver. And he said, I don't need that anymore. They were making cups for him out of gold. So every one of you who's drinking out of one of those fancy Yetis or one of those less fancy Arctic cups from Bucky's, a gold cup, and it's more than likely insulated <laughs> and salt and stuff. So I became great, verse 9, and I surpassed all those who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. So he's, he's not lost sight of his wisdom, but he's gone all into pleasure and folly and mad that my eyes desired. I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. For I took pleasure in all of my struggles. He's just trying to find some type of satisfaction, some type of hope somewhere because all of us are some of them are less acceptable I had a brother who struggled with drugs and alcohol and when I say struggle I mean he struggled and he was trying to find meaning in that meaning in things that he would put in his veins meaning in things that he would put in his nose meaning in things that he would smoke and drink trying to find pleasure Trying to find some type of meaning. And that's unacceptable. But we do the same thing. We just do it more acceptably. When we try to build houses, it's okay. Build your house. But if we're finding our meaning in that, there's a problem. If we're finding our meaning in fame, our meaning in the fact that we're trying to create things that matter... Think about it this way. He found nothing with all of his unlimited resources. How are we going to find meaning apart from God with our very limited ones? We've been told over and over. That we need more money, more entertainment, more pleasure, more recreation. We need more stuff. And the entirety of the time, we see that people are taking more pain pills, more antidepressants. Those things fly off the shelf. We buy magazines that no one reads that are always confronting the same exact things in a different way. Think about it this way. If that magazine could really fix the problem that it addresses, it wouldn't be a magazine. It would be a book. There would just be one copy. So you have these five pleasure centers. You've got seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching. All of these things existing under the sun. And Solomon saw in every single way to meet these needs under the sun. But God, who exists apart and over the sun, who is not tangible gives us ways that he is tangible and the ways that we can interact with him. God, who is over the sun, chooses to make himself known under it, and we see God meeting these needs in these shadowy, echoey places. We see God meeting the need for seeing when when we see in Ephesians 1 that Paul prays the eyes of our hearts would be opened. We see God helping us to hear when Jesus says, My sheep, hear my voice in John 10 verse 10. We see that God meets the need for taste when he says, What you taste is not finite things, but David tells us to taste and to see that the Lord is good. We see that God meets the need of smell, of... of, Interacting with him in that way, when he says in Second Corinthians two, Paul tells us that the church is the very aroma of Christ Jesus. We see God meeting the need for touch when we read Hebrews chapter four, verse thirteen, and it says this: that the word of the Lord is a sword that pierces and cuts us between and between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. God. Choosing to meet you in those places, in those need centers. God saying, you can search for your pleasure everywhere else, but until you interact with me, it's not going to matter. So Solomon goes to wisdom, because obviously pleasure is limited. And what happens here, one friend puts it this way, information minus application is foolishness. Jesus says it in this way, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Anyone who hears my words and does not do them is a dummy. That's in the message. But that's basically what it says. Information plus application equals wisdom. Information minus application equals foolishness. The Oscars are next week. You may not know that. You may not care. And that's okay. I'm good either way. In 1998... Robin Williams won Best Supporting Actor for his role in Goodwill Hunting. Did you want to see that movie? I've never asked, did anyone see that and had that much of a response from this room? I'm just, all right. We just read our Bibles all the time, Pastor. All right. Goodwill hunting. Matt Damon's character is a genius, and, and a genius, he's a genius in an annoying way that someone's a genius. He meets with Robin Williams, to, who's going to offer some psychology help for him. He, he's a professor dealing with Matt's problems. Both of them are from Boston. And when Matt Damon meets with him, Goodwill Hunting meets with him. He makes a fool of this professor making fun of a painting in his office. And when he makes a fool of him, he's hurt and he's broken because this kid has just said these things to him that made him feel like he did not matter. I'm going to give you the TNT paraphrase of the conversation that follows. I thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting. I stayed up half the night thinking about it. Something occurred to me. I fell, and when it did, I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep. I've not thought about you since. You know what happened? You know what occurred to me? You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. You've never even been out of Boston. So here's the difference. If I asked you about art, you genius, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, You know all about him, but I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at the beautiful ceiling. You've never seen that. If I asked you about women, you'd probably give me a syllabus of all of your personal favorites, but you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. I bet you could, I could ask you about war, and you'd probably mention Shakespeare to me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends, but you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. I ask you about love. You probably quote me a sonnet, but you never looked at a woman and have never been totally vulnerable. You never known someone that could level you with their eyes, feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you who could rescue you from the depths of hell and you wouldn't know what it's like to be hers through everything, through anything through cancer you would not know about sleeping sitting straight up in a hospital for two months holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the term visiting hours, they don't apply to you you don't know what real loss is because it only occurs to you when you love something more than you love yourself I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much I look at you. I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared kid. We can know lots of things without the experience of wisdom not know what to do in scenarios and situations. Solomon says that, and we actually see him deal with that in the passage. Verse 12. He talks about how wisdom matters, but it's limited. I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, for what will the king's successor be like? He will be what has already done. He will do what has already done. And I realize that there's an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. He's not saying that wisdom is bad. Wisdom is going to get you through life. Wisdom is awesome. It's the difference between walking through a room that is lit and walking through one that is loaded with obstacles. So our kids love Legos. Hope always makes them pick the Legos up. She's a brilliant, brilliant woman. And when my children play on Legos in our house, they play on them on a blanket. If you are not working through this at your house, that is magnificent. And that's how your children should play with Legos. Definitively. Because you just fold the blanket up and they're all gone. But there are stray Legos sometimes. Sometimes when those stray Legos are sitting there, there have been multiple occasions where I got up, I walk through the house without any light on, and I step on one of those Legos. Dads, anybody in the room, is this just me? Now, I want to be honest with you, there is minor pain in life, there is major pain, and there is stepped-on-a-Lego-in-the-middle-of-the-night pain. When I do this, I make up words. You may say to me, Pastor, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, absolutely. And agony was expressed from my right atrium at those moments. uh, Solomon says to us that we should be wise. We should walk with the light. That's why he says in another place in the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that we should acknowledge him with all of our heart so that he will keep our path straight. But your wisdom, no matter how much you have, cannot win against death. We keep pushing against death. Here's some numbers that are staggering. In 1950, there were 2,300 people in the United States over the age of 100. There is an expectation that in 2050, or 2050, if you will, which is 30 years removed from now, that number will hit half of a million. But all of those people will die. Chad, this is morbid. Let me make it worse. All of you will too. Me too. Solomon deals with the wise and the foolish person, and he points out the... Death. The wise person has eyes in his head. So sure, walk in the light. But I know that one fate comes to them both. What happens to the fool will also happen to me. Everyone's going to die. Not only is your wisdom limited, the Bible tells that legacy is limited. Legacy, you see it in verses 18 through 26, the rest of the chapter deals with what am I going to do That has eternal significance. What am I going to do that matters beyond me? I was always into sports games when I was a kid. But I had friends who started playing these games called The Sims. Any Sims players in the room? Okay, if you are unfamiliar with The Sims, The Sims is to new kids on the block what Minecraft is to the Korean pop band sensation BTS. The Sims was this game that you would play where you just built stuff. It's according to Wikipedia where you can get answers for everything because everyone can contribute. (laughs) The game in the Sim series are largely what are called sandbox games and they lack any defined goal. I would watch my friends play and I felt that because it did not seem that anything they were doing mattered. Solomon says, what I do doesn't seem to matter. I keep building this stuff and I work, work, work and I work some more and it doesn't matter. I've got all this stuff that I've put together and it doesn't matter because somebody's coming who's going to tear it down. There may be a point and you see it, verse 18 rather. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me and who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool. Well, Spoiler alert if you're into the Bible. The one who follows Solomon is a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This is futile. So there's going to be a day in your life possibly where you choose to build a house. So you may be thinking, I'm going to build a legacy. I'm going to do something that matters. It's going to have eternal significance. My stuff is going to be different. You will put all of the bells and whistles into the house. As we said last week, ding dong. Shh. Like I ate crackers this morning. The truth is, you won't be out of that house before you're bored with it. But maybe you would say, no Chad, I love my house. I love everything in my house. I, I built a gazebo and I built a pool. And we've got this hibachi thing. It is awesome. You your house. And when you do, someone's going to move into the house that you believe was the best house that was ever going to be built. With your gazebo and your pool and your hibachi. And they're not going to like those things. They won't like where the gazebo is. They will hate the island counter that you've put in the middle of the floor because they want to create what people call space. They're going to look at everything you did and they're going to undo it. The colors that you poured over endlessly, they're going to change. And it's going to be as if what you did doesn't matter. How do you know that? Because it happened to Solomon. His son comes in and destroys everything after Solomon's reign within almost a year. If you don't think that's happening in Elgin, you're crazy. (laughs) There is nothing new under the sun. So, if we look and we see all of these places that we are seeking to find joy are insignificant, can you please tell me why they are there? Because they are not insignificant. They are limited. And they are not simply things that exist unto themselves. They exist to point to something greater. The things that you have are gifts from God. Look at them as gifts. Don't look at them to find your identity. The wisdom that you have to get through daily struggles, look at it as a gift and don't believe that that gift is you. And I should not believe that that gift is me. The things that you build enjoy, and look at and care for and, and honor God in the way you do those things... But don't let them be what you are defined by. Jesus talks about joy a lot. Same concept. But he talks about those who get it and those who figure it out. And we see it in what we call the Beatitudes. Or your attitude should be like this. For those who follow Jesus and who get it, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Friends, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That word blessed is a word about joy. And we translate it happy. Jesus says ultimately all of the things that you have are there to get you to the place where you see your joy comes from me and from me alone. So if we see the kingdom like that and we see the things that we've been given like that, then we can see that there is meaning, but that meaning does not come from them. It came from the one who created all things. So let's find our joy there. Let's do this this morning. I want to pray for us. And maybe, just maybe, you are one of those who very much like me struggles at times to find your meaning and things that are really not eternally significant. There's an opportunity for you here to spend some time in prayer this morning. At your seat, while the band sings, with me in the back, with your life group leader. If you don't have a life group leader, I can connect you with someone. Thinking about what you've been seeking and where you've been searching and why you've been searching there. And Jesus says all of those things are intended to get you to me, to find your joy in me. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. We pray right now that you will move in the hearts of these people. Move in my heart as I look into your word, as we spend time in this word. And Lord, help us to to trust you and to see all good things in life point to you. Lord, if there are those in here who don't know you, I pray that you would save them from their sin. And for those of us who know you, I pray that you would remind us that we are not saved by our stuff but you've done a great work in us. And as you've given light to guide us. You've provided joy for us. So that we can see you through it. That laughter points to you. Pleasure points to you. All of these things point to you Jesus. And Lord that we realize that we have been. Grafted into a legacy far greater than any. We could build in our on merit, on our own merit. You've made us part of the legacy that you've set in motion, that you've created. You've given hope where there was none. So let us trust you, Jesus. We ask all this in your powerful name. If you need me, I'm in your back left-hand corner of the room.